0: Okay, we're back. Thank you. <laughs> we get through here. Um, uh-oh, we're not back. We've lost it again. So, well, while well, we're fixing it. see if we re- reboot that, I wanted to share a couple things. One, um, I want to turn, if you have your Bibles, uh, sometimes we get into habits of not carrying our Bible, and uh, we get... Uh, either digitally or carrying them by phones, but we're out of the habit of carrying the Bible. But I wanted you to know that, uh, I hope you're reading the Bible and this summer you get a chance to spend some time at the back porch with tea or something, but I just wanted you to know that uh, this little quip that Bibles that are falling apart are generally owned by Christians who aren't. So, <laughs> yeah, mine just fell apart, so right now. Everything's falling apart, so he will hold me fast. Uh, we're in the book of First Thess, and I, I tell you I'm excited about uh, what I'm learning because I'm 68 years old, and I feel like every day there's God is introducing me more and more to who he is. It's kind of like the, the Christian life is like a 5,000-piece puzzle, and he gives you little pieces day by day, and you begin to see the picture come in. Daniel 11.32 a, the first part, says that uh, those people who know their God display strength and take action. And that that idea that Christians aren't passive people, but we're actively seeking the Lord, and not just uh, seeking Him to uh, get benefits, but to seek Him to know Him. And therefore, as we come into this... Um, this book in particular 1st Thessalonians uh, again i am so eager to share with you and i hope you learn that there's so many things that we get into this hope now last week we talked about that that uh, those believers uh, in Berea were more noble minded than those Jews in Thessalonica And the idea that we are noble-minded Christians, that we have clarity and confidence in who we know. And we've been through this process, if you go into the the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians we understood that in Christ we have the grace that restores us, that we are saved by faith and not because of works. We understood in Galatians that Paul was set free. He was the apostle of the heart set free. But in in Christ, there's freedom. There's freedom that we have if you know him and you have that strength. But in Philippians, we just finished Philippians about the joy or the, having the mind of Christ. And that gives you a sense of, of how God works through the Holy Spirit to set that freedom into motion if you have faith in Christ. And now we come to 1 Thessalonians. And 1 Thess is different than all the others which we're going to look at today. And I hope you get excited about this as I am because 1 Thessalonians talks about hope, our hope in Christ. And it comes from the presence and the power and the perspectives that Christ brings to you. I I uh, entered last week by saying, why would Paul want to spend time going into a foreign country talking to pagans about a messiah that they don't know or understand why would he do that timothy and sylvanus alongside and the idea was that paul cared for people that he wanted them to know christ but more than just knowing that people would come to know christ paul wanted to know christ and, and that was his motivation. He wanted to please Christ because Christ had given him a message that he couldn't be quiet. Keep in mind that when Paul and Timothy uh, and, and Silvanus, when they went down to uh, Berea and, and elsewhere, everything that they taught in Philippi and and over in, in uh, Derby and Lystra and the first missionary journey, he was passing on this message to every church in order to spiritually form them and mature them and develop their faith, their hope, and love. But there's always resistance, as Jesus said, that there are people who would have um, opposition. And people are gonna respond to different, uh, different things that are affecting them, influencing them, the stones, the birds, and the rocks. And so our position is to move people, whatever the stage they are in, to move them on to the next step so that they can know Christ. And so the ministry of friendship is to listen to people very carefully so that you can help them understand how Christ could deal with thorns and birds and stones and whatever obstacles there may be because they're missing out on the most wonderful thing that they were created for. And so we talked about that, that there are people who are closed and people who are open, people who are willing, people who are unwilling. There are people who are cynical, people who are uninformed, they don't know. People may be interested, but they're fickle. But then there are those who are good-hearted people, who are honest and responsive. And this is what you get in the Thessalonians. So today I'm going to give you a couple things. As we go into the book, to, to give you an excitement... Because we're going to be eavesdropping on a personal relationship that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy had. This is a love letter. This is a personal letter. It's not a doctrine. It's not systematic theology. This is about life on life, friend on friend. And you'll hear a little bit about Paul, but I want to give you some background information so that you can get the feel because sometimes if you just read the Bible and you only have 15 minutes and drink your coffee and you're out, you'll you'll miss some of these things and that's why church and Bible study and fellowship is very important to fill that out. But here's some background information. I thought this was fascinating. There's a, a picture of a 12 by 12 stone and this happens to be a gravestone. It's a gravestone of a Jewish person in Thessalonica. And Thessalonica, called Salonica, uh, or Thessaloniki, Niki is the word for Nike shoes. Niki Nike means victory. And Thessalonica was a city of victory, according to this uh, um, the source, but the, the idea that that you're in a battlefield always fighting. And we'll look at this, but this particular stone represents the fact that there has always been turmoil in this wonderful place called Greece. Everybody wanted to fight and occupy Greece. And there was a time when the Jewish cemetery in Thessalonica was destroyed and all the Jewish tombstones were broken down And in the breaking down of of the tombstones, there were an ancient uh, graveyard. It had 350,000 square meters. This this has come out. It it did. It had 350,000 square meters and had close to 350,000 gravestones. But they were broken up. Uh, And particularly, here's your history lesson, that... During World War II, the Jews of Thessalonica, they were forced to give up that cemetery as part of a payment to the Nazi uh, occupiers. And almost all the Jewish uh, population there was deported to uh, the death camps. The local government took the opportunity to knock down those stones and loot them for building materials such that that you'll see here that the British soldier looking on... uh, there he is. Uh, looking on, they used those tombstones to reinforce the barracks. And uh, as they used those cemetery stones, they, they would uh, use them as a defense. In 1944, and this was at Thessalonica, Thessalonica. They took that same cemetery and those same stones, and they took them into public projects. And the Germans, the local churches, and the members of the community took those, and on top of that cemetery, they built the Aristotle University of Thessaloniki. Amazing. Most students have no idea what's underneath. Most students today don't have any idea. But that university erected a memorial for the Jewish cemetery in 2014. The point is this. This is a city in tension. In 1944, the Nazis had it. The Turks had it in 14. Uh, 30 to 1912 in the 12th century the Normans the Saracens and the 10th the Romans you, you date it all the way back this is a city that's always been at war always been attacked always been oppressed and so given that nature you have a city a church that needs hope in the midst of a conflictual contentious political military but there were Christians in this Gentile world that were gonna be persecuted. When Herod had the Jews deliver Jesus over, Herod said it was because of envy that they turned Jesus over. They were jealous of Jesus. Likewise, in Thessalonica, the Jews wanted to persecute anything that had to do with this Jesus, Messiah, And therefore, Paul represented something. But when Paul and Silvanus and Timothy moved into this, a church was born on the battlefield. And that's what I want you to get a sense of. This church is such an unusual church because in great upheaval, in great persecution, in great peril, under attack, a threat, that your jobs would be on the line, that if you believed you could be abused and beaten up like Jason was. This was not an easy place to live. They were intolerant and oppressive. And they were going through severe trials and temptations. And we don't have all the story, but this was a hostile culture. Persecution by pagans, it was a godless society. They dealt with a personal rejection. And uh, it wouldn't be unheard of that the government would come in and seize your property so that 's the context that 's the background to see what happened, and it was a little Pentecost if you would use that phrase to move into a, a city like Thessalonica, and in three weeks' time, a church was born. Now, I want to share the background of this book structure so so you see where the book of Thessalonica fits into the New Testament. Teaching for the disciples of Christ. And this is a fun little thing. This comes from J. Sidlow Baxter in his book, uh, Explore the Book. There are nine church epistles, nine letters that Paul had written to the churches to strengthen them. And, and you'll remember these by 432. The four quartet, Books are the books of the gospel of salvation, and they have to do with Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and Galatians. This is about Christ and the cross. This is the fundamental, the foundation part that every pagan, every Jew would have to understand. This is about Christ and the cross. This trio, the Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, is about Christ and the church the birth of the community of the kingdom of of gracious people, forgiven people, people who learn how to to have agape love. These people were men made new, women made new. This is a kingdom community where God had reversed the curse and introduced the blessing of the kingdom of heaven. And now we come to this duo, dynamic duo, first and second Thessalonians. And this has to do with Christ and his coming. Isn't that interesting? I thought you guys got to hear this. <laughs> and so in, in Thessalonians, in this turbulent times, um, the Spirit of God planted a church in three weeks. Now that was interesting because I I just I sat there at my table thinking, Paul must have gone home to Jason. He was in the synagogues, he was in the marketplace for three weeks. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy were doing everything, meeting with people, explaining that this church was a manifestation of the kingdom of God through the Holy Spirit. There was a messianic mission and Thessalonica was a beachhead. And therefore, as Paul was explaining, not only who the Messiah was, but he was explaining that this Messiah could liberate you from personal sin and the guilt and the addictions and the darkness and the guilt and the shame. Paul would say to these Thessalonians who had other religious systems that wouldn't deal with these things, but overcoming the idolatry, Paul invited them to say, you can turn away from that. There's one who's supreme. And three weeks, burning the midnight oil, having luncheons, uh, breakfasts, whatever they would do for fellowship. Paul would say, Jesus is Lord. This Christ, who they crucified in Jerusalem, this Christ, who they opposed and the, they tested, the Pharisees, the Sadducees who went after him, you, and, and the injustice that he, had, he was teaching to the Thessalonians. And as they heard, they heard about this Jesus, that he loved them, and he didn't just get up and have a temper tantrum, and, but he continued towards that cross, And so as Paul was talking about Christianity in a hostile culture, they saw something in Paul that they hadn't seen in any of their religions. And then Paul says, and he's alive, and he's coming back. Thessalonica is the book of hope, and the Thessalonians in three weeks' time understood that they understood that first, that you look back to the cross for strength. That's the justification by faith. And that if you have that faith, you know where you stand with God. And so the quartet looks back. But the trio, Christ and the church, looks up. And it's deepened in their love for Christ. You see that in Ephesians. You see that in the Philippians and, and Colossians. But then you come to this duo, dynamic duo, and Christ and his coming, it looks on the upcoming marriage. And it has a bright, bright longing that Christ is going to walk you down the aisle and say, you are mine. I am my beloved and I belong to him. This is the excitement of the romance between the believers in Christ and the pagans who had no idea. What an attractive message. And therefore, in order for these Thessalonians to grow, Paul would spend a lot of time explaining these concepts. But in the book of Thessalonians, he doesn't spend a lot of time on the cross. He doesn't spend a lot of time on the church because he must have set that foundation uh, and, and help them understand individually or in, a, in the synagogues. And those who responded to, to Paul, uh, they really embraced this Messiah. It's an exciting time. And so he was giving them the foundation, and he was saying this, you have to turn and repent from this pagan worship that you have. Oh, I was in... I was in... Uh, the prison, that didn't sound good. Uh, I was with the Kairos Ministry in the prison and a guy who was uh, worshiping Thor. Uh, there's a Nordic, there are Nordic gods and this particular god uh, that this group of individuals in prison, they wore a hammer of Thor around their neck and he came to the Kairos meetings. Kairos is a group of men who go in and voluntarily spend three and a half days sitting at table with the worst of the worst, the offenders, the sex offenders, and any any other one that gets involved in Kairos. And Kevin, uh, it wasn't Kevin, it was um, another man, but he said, uh, I want to accept Christ. And he had this hammer, I said, for you to accept, I said, you can't accept Christ I can't, I says, no, you have to remove that Thor hammer before you even pray to Christ. Christ will not, if you're having another pagan god, he's not going to share your heart. So you either have to make a decision, there's no, I can add Jesus, and he removed that hammer, says, I want Christ, because Thor has never done for me what Christ has done. And he did. And he became a, a Christian. But Paul would say you have to turn to God from the idols and serve the living and true God. And you can wait for his son who's going to come from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Christ and the cross. Faith looks back for strength. Uh, the church looks up for that that deepening love, and then you come to the the, the, the the idea that the second coming of Christ. This is the crown of the hope that the Lord's going to return for His beloved. So, in First and Second Thessalonians, uh, keep in mind that this wonderful day is nowhere else explained as it is in this book. And therefore, what you have in, in, in Thessalonians is two major sections of the book. You have Paul's personal relationship with the Thessalonians. And he's affirming them because in this short amount of time, they've embraced what he taught. He says, you have received the teaching and you took it as the gospel. They, they were open, they were teachable. Paul founded the church with Silvanus and, and Timothy, they were open, they were teachable. Timothy went back to strengthen the church. And Paul, when he left at three weeks, he thought, oh my gosh, three weeks, that's not enough time. And as he, as he left, he wondered, would they think that he had abandoned them? What would they think of Paul being run out of town? They were confused. They were probably, he was just worried about these because he cared for them and didn't know how deep their faith went. But they left. he left, and he left them with lots of questions. And as a personal letter, the first three chapters have to deal with how they came to Christ. And the second part was dealing with some of these questions. The first thing is, uh, how do you keep growing in Christ? And Paul would share with Sylvanus and Timothy would share. But what happens, and this is an issue, what happens when somebody's murdered? What happened when when they persecute you and they put you in jail? What happens when somebody dies? And the death issue is clarified here in part because this was on the forefront of their thinking. And then Paul would say, well, there's this day coming, the day of the Lord. The Lord is going to come back. And then they got excited and overstimulated to the point of saying, well, if he's coming back, there's no point in living on earth. If he's coming back, then let's not work. Let's not do anything. And so there was a group of people who were kind of lazy and didn't kind of, they, they lived off of uh, other people and they didn't work. You see that a couple of times in scripture. But, but the real issue was about this hope of the gospel. How are we going to get in this relationship in a pagan world? How are we going to get what we need? And so Paul would talk about the Holy Spirit and he would talk about these questions and as he went through he would introduce what this thing we call biblical hope and the idea that you need to hear and we need to know is what is biblical hope and the difference is is, is what the writers in Hebrew defines that faith is the confidence underlying that word confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Hebrews 11.1, 1. that's the NIV. The NASB says faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. The, rea- the uh, Christian Standard Bible says it's the substance. There's something about this thing that you hold or better said, that holds you. It's a reality, it's a substance, it's a confidence, it's a clarity, it's an expectation. Hope is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope means you can put it on your calendar and you plan accordingly. It will affect the way you live your life if you really believe that Jesus is coming back for you. He's going to pick up your hand. He's going to greet you and embrace you. He's coming for you, he, Paul would say to the Thessalonians. Well, oh, wow, i got to get ready for Jesus. It's an expectation as if somebody made a promise. Would you marry me? And on that proposal, you say, I do, I will. And from that point on, you expect a different relationship that the fulfillment of a promise, that's what hope coming from that kind of faith is a substance that says it's not just wishful thinking and therefore when you get into biblical hope it's not wishful thinking like desire, I hope that's going to come to pass I wish that a lot of people for example wish to win the lottery how many want to win the lottery? yeah yeah So, but you wish for you can have hope quote unquote but do you expect that to happen? Do you expect that to happen? You don't expect it. A lot of people want to quit smoking. Do they expect it? Some people do, some people don't. But some people want to lose weight. Some people want to get in shape. Some people want to get, but those are desires and wishful thinking. But without this expectation that says this is going to happen, mark it, I'm going to see the fulfillment, that's what biblical hope is. And therefore, I said before, this process of developing your faith is not just information that you get taught in a church. Because a lot of people know a lot, but they don't have faith a lot. They don't have the understanding. But this biblical basis that Paul is dealing with has to deal with a fundamental shift that the Thessalonians made that we need to make as well. The shift is this. Our hearts are idle factories where we worship other gods, other desires. We have other hopes. And our hope isn't anchored in the biblical revelation of what Christ is going to do. We have hopes that I won't get cancer. Or if I get cancer, I hope that I get rid of it I have hope that my 401k won't be dissolved by the time I get there I need it. We, hope, we have lots of hopes, lots of desires. But the idea is that there's a spiritual component that's going on inside of us. And the reason why there's conflict is because there's a problem of self-interest, self-motivation, self-definition. Instead of letting God be the Lord and Savior, we become we may give him the option. God, show me what you've got and I'll think about it. And so we hold off. But the idea that we have this control, what I believe, what I think, I, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I don't, need to, I, I don't need to be that biblical. I just can be a little biblical. There's a way which seems right to a man, but the Lord looks at the heart. The way of a fool, fool, is right in his own eyes. But a person who listens to advice is wise. If you're listening to the Lord, you're wise. And the Thessalonians were wise here. The wise man feareth and departeth from evil. They turn from idols. But the fool rages and is contentious instead of being confident. Well, let me go on. We have a different hope, said Paul. Through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Galatians 5, 5. Peter said it this way, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness and through these, he has given to us his very great and precious promises, so that through them we may participate in this relationship and share that divine nature of the Holy Spirit, having escaped a corruption in the world caused by evil desires in our flesh that was separated from God. We have a different hope. That hope is that when you meet Jesus, you would have the assurance of salvation, and Jesus would give a testimony. This one was born in Zion. This one is mine. This one is my daughter. This one is my son. A testimony said about you by the Lord, by the Father, through Christ, because the testimony is this. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. I write these things, John said, who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that hope, that you have eternal life. And therefore, Paul would say in Thessalonica, hope is the helmet. Hope is the assurance of salvation. It's a critical piece. That's the helmet of hope for your salvation. Paul knew that when he went to Thessalonica, there were ego-centered people. There were ethnocentric people but then there are people who are kingdom Christocentric people and therefore the question I say to you to think about when you hear somebody say I believe in God I believe in God ask about their hope what do you hope your God will do what evidence that is, do you see in your life that their hope is being manifested because of your belief Most people say, I believe in God. They don't have any expectation of hope. And how will Jesus greet you? Do you have the assurance of salvation? If you were to die tonight and you go to heaven and God were to say, why should I let you in? What would your answer be? Well, I went to church on my life. Uh, I started going to church at the end of my life. And uh, I did this and I gave money and I helped the poor and I fed the hungry and I I did You don't need the gospel for that. You don't need Christ for that. So what Paul was saying to the Thessalonians is the same message that he says to the Americans. And the Americans have the same issues. And the issues that they were dealing with, the questions that they were dealing with, in three weeks' time, Paul got that church going because the Spirit of God, that church was born in battle. That same spirit is at work here in your neighborhood if people are paying attention. So keep in mind, you also are in Gentile waters. You also are bringing the kingdom of God, building gospel communities of grace and truth. You have a good news, a hope of salvation that's going to come to pass. You have biblical hope, and for that, I would say read this book with the understanding how did the Thessalonians come to that faith? The first three chapters will show you how God used Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to help people grow. The second part of the book is about that second coming of Christ and the issues involved. And that's for you. Let Paul disciple you through the book of 1 Thess and get that biblical hope clear. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, we want on our tombstones not to be the focus of whether they're broken or not. We we really don't care about our tombstones, but we care about the truth in Christ. And we know that that promise, that covenant, that word that you give to us, that your blood was shed for us and our name would be written in the book of life because of that faith that gives us that hope. Lord, we turn to you. And we praise you, we worship you, and we need you to give us that same kind of confidence, that assurance, that same kind of boldness that the Thessalonians would have, as they would have to be tested, for surely they were. And so Father, uh, we also have the same needs. Would you build your church and bring in those who don't know you through us? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please rise.